Section six of Celebrated Crimes, Volume five, Part one. Derue by Alexandre Dumas, translated by George Burnham Ives. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section six. Go on, said the magistrate. Why do you stop now? Because what I have to say is so painful, not to me who have to justify myself, but for others that I hesitate. Go on. Will you then interrogate me, please? Well, what happened in this interview? Derues appeared to collect himself for a moment, and then said with the air of a man who has decided on speaking out at last, Madame de Lamotte was not alone. She was attended by a gentleman whom I did not know, whom I never saw either at Buisson Souf or in Paris, and whom I have never seen again since. I will ask you to allow me to recount everything, even to the smallest details. This man's face struck me at once, on account of a singular resemblance. He paid no attention to me at first, and I was able to examine him at leisure. His manners were those of a man belonging to the highest classes of society, and his dress indicated wealth. On seeing Edouard, he said to Madame de Lamotte, "'So this is he,' and then he kissed him tenderly. This and the marks of undisguised pleasure which he evinced surprised me, and I looked at Madame de Lamotte, who then remarked with some asperity, "'I did not expect to see you, Monsieur Derues. I had not asked you to accompany my son.' Edouard seemed quite as much surprised as I was. The stranger gave me a look of haughty annoyance, but seeing I did not avoid his glance, his countenance assumed a more gentle expression and Madame de Lamotte introduced him as a person who took great interest in Edouard. "'It is a whole tissue of imposture!' exclaimed Monsieur de Lamotte. "'Allow me to finish,' answered Derues. "'I understand your doubts, and that you are not anxious to believe what I have say, but I have been brought here by legal summons to tell the truth, and I am going to tell it.' You can then weigh the two accusations in the balance and choose between them. The reputation of an honorable man is as sacred, as important, as worthy of credit, as the reputation of a woman, and I never heard that the virtue of the one was more fragile than that of the other. Monsieur de Lamotte, thunderstruck by such a revelation, could not contain his impatience and indignation. This, then, he said, is the explanation of an anonymous letter which I received, and of the injurious suggestions concerning my wife's honour which it contained, it was written to give an appearance of probability to this infamous legend. The whole thing is a disgraceful plot, and no doubt Monsieur Derues wrote the letter himself. I know nothing about it, said Derues unconcernedly, and the explanation which you profess to find in it i should rather refer to something else i am going to mention i did not know a secret warning had been sent to you i now learn it from you and i understand perfectly that such a letter may have been written but that you have received such a warning ought surely to be a reason for listening patiently and not denouncing all i say as imposture while saying this derues mentally constructed the fresh falsehood necessitated by the interruption but no variation of countenance betrayed his thought. He had an air of dignity natural to his position. He saw that, in spite of clear-headedness and long practice in studying the most deceptive countenances, the magistrate so far had not scented any of his falsehoods, 
and was getting bewildered in the windings of this long narrative, through which Derues led him as he chose, and resumed with confidence. "'You know that I made Monsieur de Lamotte's acquaintance more than a year ago, and I had reason to believe his friendship as sincere as my own. As a friend I could not calmly accept the suspicion which then entered my mind, nor could I conceal my surprise. Madame de Lamotte saw this, and understood from my looks that I was not satisfied with the explanation she wished me to accept. A glance of intelligence passed between her and her friend, who was still holding Edouard's hand. The day, though cold, was fine, and she proposed a walk in the park. I offered her my arm, and the stranger walked in front with Edouard. We had a short conversation, which has remained indelibly fixed in my memory. "'Why did you come?' she inquired. I did not answer, but looked sternly at her, in order to discompose her. At length I said, "'You should have written, madame, and warned me that my coming would be indiscreet.' She seemed much disconcerted, and exclaimed, "'I am lost. I see you guess everything, and will tell my husband. I am an unhappy woman, and a sin once committed can never be erased from the pages of a woman's life. Listen, Monsieur Derues, listen, I implore you.' You see this man. I shall not tell you who he is. I shall not give his name. But I loved him long ago. I should have been his wife, and had he not been compelled to leave France, I should have married no one else. Monsieur de Lamotte started and grew pale. What is the matter? the magistrate inquired. Oh, this dastardly wretch is profiting by his knowledge of secrets which a long intimacy has enabled him to discover. "'Do not believe him, I entreat you. Do not believe him.' Derues resumed. Madame de Lamotte continued, "'I saw him again sixteen years ago, always in hiding, always proscribed. Today he reappears under a name which is not his own. He wishes to link my fate with his. He has insisted on seeing Edouard, but I shall escape him.' I have invented this fiction of placing my son among the royal pages to account for my stay here. Uh, do not contradict me, but help me. For a little time ago I met one of Monsieur de Lamotte's friends. I am afraid he suspected something. Uh, say you have seen me several times as you have come. Uh, let it be known that you brought Edouard here. I shall return to Buisson as soon as possible, but you will go first. See my husband satisfy him if he is anxious i am in your hands my honour my reputation my very life are at your mercy you can either ruin or help to save me i may be guilty but i am not corrupt i have wept for my sin day after day and i have already cruelly expiated it this execrable calumny was not related without infrequent interruptions on the part of monsieur de lamotte he was, however, obliged to own to himself that it was quite true that Marie Perrier had really been promised to a man whom an unlucky affair had driven into exile, and whom he had supposed to be dead. This revelation, coming from Derues, who had the strongest interest in lying, by no means convinced him of his wife's dishonour, nor destroyed the feelings of a husband and father. But Derues was not speaking for him alone and what appeared incredible to Monsieur de Lamotte might easily seem less improbable to the colder and less interested judgment of the magistrate. "'I was wrong,' Derues continued, "'in allowing myself to be touched by her tears. 
wrong in believing in her repentance more wrong still in going to buisson to satisfy her husband but i only consented on conditions madame de lamotte promised me to return shortly to paris vowing that her son should never know the truth and that the rest of her life should be devoted to atoning for her sin by a boundless devotion she then begged me to leave her and told me she would write to me at paris to fix the day of her return this is what happened and this is why i went to buisson and gave my support to a lying fiction with one word i might have destroyed the happiness of seventeen years i did not wish to do so i believed in the remorse i believe in it still in spite of all appearances i have refused to speak this very day and made every effort to prolong an illusion which i know it will be terrible to lose there was a moment of silence this fable so atrociously ingenious was simply and impressively narrated and with an air of candour well contrived to impose on the magistrate or at least to suggest grave doubts to his mind Derues, with his usual cunning had conformed his language to the quality of his listener any tricks professions of piety quotations from sacred books so largely indulged in when he wished to bamboozle people of a lower class would here have told against him he knew when to abstain and carried the art of deception far enough to be able to lay aside the appearance of hypocrisy he had described all the circumstances without affectation and if this unexpected accusation was wholly unproved it yet rested on a possible fact and did not appear absolutely incredible the magistrate went through it all again and made him repeat every detail without being able to make him contradict himself or show the smallest embarrassment while interrogating Derues, he kept his eyes fixed upon him and this double examination being quite fruitless only increased his perplexity however he never relaxed the incredulous severity of his demeanour nor the imperative and threatening tone of his voice you acknowledged having been at lyon he asked i have been there at the beginning of this examination you said you would explain the reason of this journey later i am ready to do so for the journey is connected with the facts i have just narrated it was caused by them explain it i again ask permission to relate fully i did not hear from versailles i began to fear monsieur de lamotte's anxiety would bring him to paris bound by the promise i had made to his wife to avert all suspicion and to satisfy any doubts he might conceive and must i add also remembering that it was important for me to inform him of our new arrangements and of this payment of a hundred thousand livres that payment is assuredly fictitious interrupted monsieur de lamotte we must have some proof of it i will prove it presently answered derues so i went to buisson as i have already told you on my return i found a letter from madame de lamotte a letter with a paris stamp which had arrived that morning i was surprised that she should write when actually in paris i opened the letter and was still more surprised i have not the letter with me but i recollect the sense of it perfectly if not the wording and i can produce it if necessary madame de lamotte was at lyon with her son and this person whose name i do not know and whom i do not care to mention before her husband she had confided this letter to a person who was coming to paris and who was to bring it to me but this individual whose name was marquis regretted that having to start again immediately he was obliged to entrust it to the post this is the sense of its contents 
Madame de Lamotte wrote that she found herself obliged to follow this nameless person to Lyon, and she begged me to send her news of her husband and of the state of his affairs, but said not one single word of any probable return. I became very uneasy at the news of this clandestine departure. I had no security except a private contract annulling our first agreement on the payment of one hundred thousand livres, and that this was not a sufficient and regular receipt I knew, because the lawyer had already refused to surrender Monsieur de Lamotte's power of attorney. I thought over all the difficulties which this flight, which would have to be kept secret, was likely to produce, and I started for Lyon without writing or giving any notice of my intention. I had no information. I did not even know whether Madame de Lamotte was passing by another name as at Versailles, but chance decreed that I met her the very day of my arrival. She was alone and complained bitterly of her fate, saying she had been compelled to follow this individual to Lyon, but that very soon she would be free and would return to Paris. But I was struck by the uncertainty of her manner, and said I should not leave her without obtaining a deed in proof of our recent arrangements. She refused at first, saying it was unnecessary as she would so soon return, but I insisted strongly. I told her I had already compromised myself by telling Monsieur de Lamotte that she was at Versailles endeavouring to procure an appointment for her son, that since she had been compelled to come to Lyon, the same person might take her elsewhere so that she might disappear any day, might leave France without leaving a trace, without any written acknowledgment of her own dishonour, and that when all these falsehoods were discovered, I should appear in the light of an accomplice. I also said that, as she had unfortunately lodged in my house in Paris and had requested me to remove her son from his school, explanations would be required from me and perhaps i should be accused of this double disappearance finally i declared that if she did not give me some proofs of her existence willingly or unwillingly i would go at once to a magistrate my firmness made her reflect my good monsieur derues she said i ask your forgiveness for all the trouble i have caused you i will give you this deed to-morrow to-day is too late but come to this same place to-morrow, and you shall see me again. I hesitated, I confess, to let her go. Ah, she said, grasping my hands, do not suspect me of intending to deceive you, I swear, that I will meet you here at four o'clock. It is enough that I have ruined myself and perhaps my son, without also entangling you in my unhappy fate. Yes, you are right, this deed is important, necessary for you, and you shall have it. But do not show yourself here. If you were seen, I might not be able to do what I ought to do. Tomorrow you shall see me again, I swear it. She then left me, and the next day, the 12th of March, I was exact at the rendezvous, and Madame de Lamotte arrived a moment later. She gave me a deed authorizing her husband to receive the arrears of 30,000 livres remaining from the purchase money of Buisson Cerf. I endeavored again to express my opinion of her conduct. She listened in silence, as if my words affected her deeply. We were walking together when she told me she had some business in a house we were passing, and asked me to wait for her. I waited more than an hour, and then discovered that this house, like many others in Lyon, had an exit in another street, and I understood that Madame de Lamotte had escaped by this passage, and that I might wait in vain. Concluding that trying to follow her would be useless, and seeing also that any remonstrance would be made in vain, I returned to Paris, deciding to say nothing as yet, and to conceal the truth as long as possible. 
I still had hopes, and I did not count on being so soon called on to defend myself. I thought that when I had to speak it would be as a friend, and not as an accused person. This, sir, is the explanation of my conduct, and I regret that this justification, so easy for myself, should be so cruelly painful for another. You have seen the efforts which I made to defer it. Monsieur de Lamotte had heard the second part of Derues' recital with a more silent indignation, not that he admitted its probability, but he was confounded by this monstrous imposture, and as it were, terror-stricken by such profound hypocrisy. His mind revolted at the idea of his wife being accused of adultery, but while he repelled this charge with decision, he saw the confirmation of his secret terrors and presentiments, and his heart sank within him at the prospect of exploring this abyss of iniquity. He was pale, gasping for breath, as though he himself had been the criminal, while scorching tears furrowed his cheeks. He tried to speak, but his voice failed. He wanted to fling back at Derues the names of traitor and assassin, and he was obliged to bear in silence the look of mingled grief and pity which the latter bestowed upon him. The magistrate, calmer and master of his emotions, but tolerably bewildered in this labyrinth of cleverly connected lies, thought it desirable to ask some further questions. "'How,' said he, "'did you obtain this sum of a hundred thousand livres, which you say you paid over to Madame de Lamotte?' "'I have been engaged in business for several years, and have acquired some fortune.' "'Nevertheless,' You have postponed the obligation of making this payment several times, so that Monsieur de Lamotte had begun to feel uneasiness on the subject. This was the chief reason of his wife's coming to Paris. One sometimes experiences momentary difficulties, which presently disappear. You say you have a deed given to you at Lyon by Madame de Lamotte, which you were to give to her husband. It is here. The magistrate examined the deed carefully, and noted the name of the lawyer in whose office it had been drawn up. "'You may go,' he said at last. "'What?' exclaimed Monsieur de Lamotte. Derues stopped, but the magistrate signed to him to go, intimating, however, that he was on no account to leave Paris. "'But,' said Monsieur de Lamotte when they were alone, "'this man is indeed guilty. My wife has not betrayed me. She forget her duties as a wife.' She was virtue incarnate. Oh, I assure you, these terrible calumnies are invented to conceal double crime. I throw myself at your feet. I implore your justice. Rise, monsieur. This is only a preliminary examination, and I confess that so far he comes well out of it, for imagination can hardly understand such a depth of deceit. I watched him closely the whole time, and I could discover no sign of alarm, no contradiction in either face or language. If guilty, he must be the greatest hypocrite that ever existed. But I shall neglect nothing. If a criminal is allowed to flatter himself with impunity, he frequently forgets to be prudent, and I have seen many betray themselves when they thought they had nothing to fear. Patience, and trust to the justice of both God and man. Several days passed, and Derues flattered himself the danger was over. His every action, meanwhile, was most carefully watched, but so that he remained unaware of the surveillance. A police officer named Mutel, distinguished for activity and intelligence beyond his fellows, was charged with collecting information and following any trail. All his bloodhounds were in action and hunted Paris thoroughly, but could trace nothing bearing on the fate of Madame de Lamotte and her son.
Mutel, however, soon discovered that in the Rue Saint-Victor Derues had failed three successive times, that he had been pursued by numerous creditors and been often near imprisonment for debt, and that in 1771 he had been publicly accused of incendiarism. He reported on these various circumstances and then went himself to Derues' abode, where he obtained no results. Madame Derues declared that she knew nothing whatever, and the police, having vainly searched the whole house, had to retire. Derues himself was absent. When he returned, he found another order to appear before the magistrate. His first success had encouraged him. He appeared before the magistrate accompanied by a lawyer and full of confidence, complaining loudly that the police in searching during his absence had offended against the rights of a domiciled burgess and ought to have waited his return. Affecting a just indignation at Monsieur de Lamotte's conduct towards him, he presented a demand that the latter should be declared a calumniator and should pay damages for the injury caused to his reputation. But this time his effrontery and audacity were of little avail. The magistrate easily detected him in flagrant lies. He declared at first that he had paid the hundred thousand livres with his own money, but when reminded of his various bankruptcies, the claims of his creditors, and the judgments obtained against him as an insolvent debtor, he made a complete volte-face, and declared he had borrowed the money from an advocate named Duclos, to whom he had given a bond in presence of a notary. In spite of all his protestations, the magistrate committed him to solitary confinement at Fort Levesque. As yet nothing was publicly known, but vague reports and gossip carried from shop to shop circulated among the people and began to reach the higher classes of society the infallible instinct which is aroused among the masses is truly marvellous a crime is committed which seems at first likely to defeat justice and the public conscience is aroused long before the torturous folds which envelop the mystery can be penetrated while it is still sunk in profound obscurity the voice of the nation like an excited hive buzzes around the secret Though the magistrates doubt, the public curiosity fixes itself, and never leaves go. If the criminal's hiding place is changed, it follows the track, points it out, decries it in the gloom. This is what happened on the news of Derues' arrest. The affair was everywhere discussed, although the information was incomplete, reports inexact, and no real publicity to be obtained. The romance which Derues had invented by way of defence and which became known as well as Monsieur de Lamotte's accusation, obtained no credence whatever. On the contrary, all the reports to his discredit were eagerly adopted. As yet, no crime could be traced, but the public presentiment divined an atrocious one. Have we not often seen similar agitations? The names of Bastide, of Castang, of Papavoine had hardly been pronounced before they completely absorbed all the public attention, and this had to be satisfied. Light had to be thrown on the darkness. Society demanded vengeance. Derues felt some alarm in his dungeon, but his presence of mind and his dissimulation in no wise deserted him. He swore afresh every day to the truth of his statements. But his last false assertion turned against him. The bond for a hundred thousand livres which he professed to have given to Duclos was a counterfeit which Duclos had annulled by a sort of counter-declaration made the same day. Another circumstance, intended to ensure his safety, only redoubled suspicion. On April 8th, notes payable to order to the amount of 78,000 livres were received by Monsieur de Lamotte's lawyer, as if coming from Madame de Lamotte. It appeared extraordinary that these notes, which arrived in an ordinary stamped envelope, should not be accompanied by any letter of advice, 
and suspicion attached to Madame Derues, who hitherto had remained unnoticed. An inquiry as to where the packet had been posted soon revealed the office, distinguished by a letter of the alphabet, and the postmaster described a servant-maid who had brought the letter and paid for it. The description resembled the Derues' servant, and this girl, much alarmed, acknowledged after a great deal of hesitation that she had posted the letter in obedience to her mistress's orders. Whereupon Madame Derues was sent as prisoner to Fort Levesque, and her husband transferred to the Grand Châtelet. On being interrogated, she at length owned that she had sent these notes to Monsieur de Lamotte's lawyer, and that her husband had given them her in an envelope, hidden in the soiled lining for which she had brought him clean in exchange. All this certainly amounted to serious presumptive evidence of guilt, and if Derues had shown himself to the multitudes, which followed every phase of the investigation with increasing anxiety, a thousand arms would have willingly usurped the office of the executioner, but the distance thence to actual proof of murder was enormous for the magistracy. Derues maintained his tranquillity, always asserting that Madame de Lamotte and her son were alive, and would clear him by their reappearance. Neither threats nor stratagems succeeded in making him contradict himself, and his assurance shook the strongest conviction. A new difficulty was added to so much uncertainty. A messenger had been sent off secretly with all haste to Lyon. His return was awaited for, a test which it was thought would be decisive. One morning Derues was fetched from his prison and taken to a lower hall of the conciergerie. He received no answers to the questions addressed to his escort, and this silence showed him the necessity of being on his guard and preserving his imperturbable demeanour whatever might happen. On arriving he found the commissioner of police, Mattel, and some other persons. The hall being very dark had been illuminated with several torches, and Derues was so placed that the light fell strongly on his face, and was then ordered to look towards a particular part of the hall. As he did so, a door opened and a man entered. Derues beheld him with indifference, and seeing that the stranger was observing him attentively, he bowed to him as one might bow to an unknown person whose curiosity seems rather unusual. It was impossible to detect the slightest trace of emotion. A hand placed on his heart would not have felt an increased pulsation. Yet this stranger's recognition would be fatal. Mattel approached the newcomer and whispered, "'Do you recognize him?' "'No, I do not.' have the kindness to leave the room for a moment. We will ask you to return immediately." This individual was the lawyer in whose office at Lyon the deed had been drawn up, which Derues had signed, disguised as a woman, and under the name of Marie-Francoise Perrier, wife of the Sieur de Lamotte. A woman's garments were brought in, and Derues was ordered to put them on, which he did readily, affecting much amusement. As he was assisted to disguise himself, he laughed stroked his chin and assumed mincing airs, carrying effrontery so far as to ask for a mirror. "'I should like to see if it is becoming,' he said. "'Perhaps I might make some conquests.' The lawyer returned. Derues was made to pass before him, to sit at a table, sign a paper, in fact repeat everything it was imagined he might have said or done in the lawyer's office. This second attempt at identification succeeded no better than the first. The lawyer hesitated, then, understanding all the importance of his deposition, he refused to swear to anything, and finally declared that this was not the person who had come to him at Lyon. "'I am sorry, sir,' said Derues as they removed him, "'that you should have been troubled by having to witness this absurd comedy. 
do not blame me for it but ask heaven to enlighten those who do not fear to accuse me as for me knowing that my innocence will shortly be made clear i pardon them henceforth although justice at this period was generally expeditious and the lives of accused persons were by no means safeguarded as they are now it was impossible to condemn derues in the absence of any positive proofs of guilt he knew this and waited patiently in his prison for the moment when he should triumph over the capital accusation which weighed against him the storm no longer thundered over his head the most terrible trials were passed the examinations became less frequent and there were no more surprises to dread the lamentations of monsieur de lamotte went to the hearts of the magistrates but his certainty could not establish theirs and they pitied but could not avenge him in certain minds a sort of reaction favorable to the prisoner began to set in among the dupes of derues seeming piety many who at first held their peace under these crushing accusations returned to their former opinion the bigots and devotees all who made a profession of kneeling in the churches of publicly crossing themselves and dipping their fingers in the holy water and who lived on cant and repetitions of amen and alleluia talked of persecution of martyrdom until derues nearly became a saint destined by the almighty to find canonization in a dungeon hence arose quarrels and arguments and this abortive trial this unproved accusation kept the public imagination in a constant ferment to the greater part of those who talk of the supreme being and who expect his intervention in human affairs providence is only a word solemn and sonorous a sort of theatrical machine which sets all right in the end and which they glorify with a few banalities proceeding from the lips but not from the heart it is true that this unknown and mysterious cause which we call god or chance often appears so exceedingly blind and deaf that one may be permitted to wonder whether certain crimes are really set apart for punishment when so many others apparently go scot-free how many murders remain buried in the night of the tomb how many outrageous and avowed crimes have slept peacefully in an insolent and audacious prosperity we know the names of many criminals but who can tell the number of unknown and forgotten victims the history of humanity is twofold and like that of the invisible world which contains marvels unexplored by the science of the visible one the history recounted in books is by no means the most curious and strange but without delaying over questions such as these without protesting here against sophistries which cloud the conscience and hide the presence of an avenging deity we leave the facts to the general judgment and have now to relate the last episode in this long and terrible drama of all the populous quarters of paris which commented on the affaire des rues none showed more excitement than that of the greve and amongst all the surrounding streets none could boast more numerous crowds than the rue de la mortellerie not that a secret instinct magnetized the crowd in the very place where the proof lay buried but that each day its attention was aroused by a painful spectacle a pale and grief-stricken man whose eyes seemed quenched in tears passed often down the street hardly able to drag himself along it was monsieur de lamotte who lodged as we have said in the rue de la mortellerie and who seemed like a spectre wandering round a tomb the crowd made way and uncovered before him everybody respected such terrible misfortune and when he had passed the groups formed up again and continued discussing the mystery until nightfall on april seventeenth about four in the afternoon a score of workmen and gossiping women had collected in front of a shop 
a stout woman standing on the lowest step like an orator in the tribune held forth and related for the twentieth time what she knew or rather did not know there were listening ears and gaping mouths even a slight shudder ran through the group for the widow masson discovering a gift of eloquence at the age of sixty contrived to mingle great warmth and much indignation in her recital all at once silence fell on the crowd and a passage was made for m de lamotte one man ventured to ask is there anything fresh to-day a sad shake of the head was the only answer and the unhappy man continued on his way is that monsieur de lamotte inquired a particularly dirty woman whose cap stuck on the side of her head allowed locks of gray hair to straggle from under it ah is that monsieur de lamotte dear me said a neighbor don't you know him by this time he passes every day excuse me i don't belong to this quarter and no offence but it is not so beautiful as to bring one out of curiosity nothing personal but it is rather dirty madame is probably accustomed to use a carriage that would suit you better than me my dear and would save your having to buy shoes to keep your feet off the ground the crowd seemed inclined to hustle the speaker wait a moment she continued i didn't mean to offend anyone i am a poor woman but there's no disgrace in that and i can afford a glass of liquor eh good gossip you understand don't you a drop of the best for mother manifray and if my fine friend there will drink with me to settle our difference i will stand her a glass the example set by the old hawker was contagious and instead of filling two little glasses only, Widow Masson dispensed a bottleful. "'Come, you have done well,' cried Mother Manifray. "'My idea has brought you luck.' "'Faith, not before it was wanted, either.' "'What? Are you complaining of trade, too?' "'Ah, uh, don't mention it. It is miserable.' "'There's no trade at all. I scream myself hoarse all day.' and choke myself for two pence halfpenny i don't know what's to come of it all but you seem to have a nice little custom what's the good of that with a whole house on one's hands it's just my luck the old tenants go and the new ones don't come what's the matter then i think the devil's in it there was a nice man on the first floor gone a decent family on the third all right except that the man beat his wife every night and made such a row that no one could sleep gone also i put up notices no one even looks at them a few months ago it was the middle of december uh, the day of the last execution ah the fifteenth then said the hawker i cried it so i know it's my trade that uh, very well then uh, the fifteenth resumed the widow masson on that day then i let the cellar to a man who said he was a wine merchant and who paid a term in advance seeing that i didn't know him and wouldn't have lent him a farthing on the strength of his good looks he was a little bit of a man no taller than that contemptuously holding out her hand and he had two round eyes which i didn't like at all he certainly paid he did that but we are more than half through the second term and i have no news of my tenant and have you never seen him since 
yes once no twice let's see three times i am sure he came with a hand-cart and a commissionaire and had a big chest taken downstairs a case which he said contained wine and bottles no he came before that with a workman i think oh, really i don't know if it was before or after it doesn't matter anyhow it was bottled wine the third time he brought a mason and i am sure they quarrelled i heard their voices he carried off the key and i have seen neither him nor his wine again i have another key and i went down one day perhaps the rats have drunk the wine and eaten the chest for there certainly is nothing there any more that there is in my hand now nevertheless i saw what i saw a big chest very big quite new and corded all round with strong rope now what day was that asked the hawker what day well it was no i can't remember nor i either i am getting stupid let's have another little glass shall we just to clear our memories the expedient was not crowned with success the memories failed to recover themselves the crowd waited attentive as may be supposed suddenly the hawker exclaimed what a fool i am i am going to find that if i only have still got it she felt eagerly in the pocket of her underskirt and produced several pieces of dirty crumpled paper as she unfolded one after another she asked a big chest wasn't it oh yes very big and quite new quite new and corded yes i can see it now so can i good gracious it was the day when i sold the history of leroy de valine on the first of february yes it was a saturday the next day was sunday that's it that's it saturday february first well i know that chest too i met your wine merchant on the place de louvre and he wasn't precisely enjoying himself one of his creditors wanted to seize the chest the wine the whole kettle of fish a little man isn't he a scarecrow just so and has red hair that's the man and looks like a hypocrite you've hit it exactly and he is a hypocrite enough to make one shudder no doubt he can't pay his rent a thief my dears a beggarly thief who set fire to his own cellar and who accused me of trying to steal from him while it was he who cheated me the villain out of a piece of twenty-four sous it's lucky i turned up here well well we shall have some fun here's another little business on your hands and you will have to say where that wine has got to my dear gossip derues derues cried twenty voices all at once what derues who is in prison why that's monsieur de lamotte's man the man who killed madame de lamotte the man who made away with her son a scoundrel my dears who's accused me of stealing an absolute monster it is just a little unfortunate said widow masson that it isn't the man my tenant calls himself de coudray there's his name on the register confound it that doesn't look like it at all said the hawker 
now that's a bore oh yes i have a grudge against that thief who accused me of stealing i told him i should sell his history some day when that happens i'll treat you all round as a foretaste of the fulfillment of this promise the company disposed of a second bottle of liqueur and becoming excited they chattered at random for some time but at length slowly dispersed and the street relapsed into the silence of night but a few hours later the inhabitants were surprised to see the two ends occupied by unknown people while other sinister-looking persons patrolled it all night as if keeping guard the next morning a carriage escorted by police stopped at the widow masson's door an officer of police got out and entered a neighboring house whence he emerged a quarter of an hour later with monsieur de lamotte leaning on his arm the officer demanded the key of the cellar which last december had been hired from the widow masson by a person named ducoudray and went down to it with monsieur de lamotte and one of his subordinates the carriage standing at the door the presence of the commissioner mutel the chatter of the previous evening had naturally roused everybody's imagination but this excitement had to be kept for home use the whole street was under arrest and its inhabitants were forbidden to leave their houses the windows crammed with anxious faces questioning each other in the expectation of something wonderful were a curious sight and the ignorance in which they remained these mysterious preparations these orders silently executed doubled the curiosity and added a sort of terror no one could see the persons who had accompanied the police officer three men remained in the carriage one guarded by the two others when the heavy coach turned into the rue de la mortellerie this man had bent towards the closed window and asked where are we and when they answered him he said i don't know this street i was never in it after saying this quite quietly he asked why am i brought here as no one replied he resumed his look of indifference and betrayed no emotion neither when the carriage stopped nor when he saw monsieur de lamotte enter the widow masson's house the officer reappeared on the threshold and ordered Derues to be brought in the previous evening detectives mingling with the crowd had listened to the hawker's story of having met Derues near the louvre escorting a large chest the police magistrate was informed in the course of the evening it was an indication a ray of light perhaps the actual truth detached from obscurity by chance gossip and measures were instantly taken to prevent anyone either entering or leaving the street without being followed and examined mutel thought he was on the track but the criminal might have accomplices also on the watch who warned in time might be able to remove the proofs of the crime if any existed derues was placed between two men who each held an arm a third went before holding a torch the commissioner followed by men also carrying torches and provided with spades and pickaxes came behind and in this order they descended into the vault it was a dismal and terrifying procession anyone beholding these dark and sad countenances this pale and resigned man passing thus into these damp vaults illuminated by the flickering glare of torches might have well thought himself the victim of illusion and watching some gloomy execution in a dream but all was real and when the light penetrated this dismal charnel house it seemed at once to illuminate its secret depths so that the light of truth might at length penetrate these dark shadows and that the voice of the dead would speak from the earth and the walls wretch exclaimed monsieur de lamotte when he saw derues appear is it here that you murdered my wife and my son derues looked calmly at him and replied 
i beg you sir not to add insult to the misfortunes you have already caused if you stood in my place and i were in yours i should feel some pity and respect for so terrible a position what do you want me and why am i brought here he did not know the events of last evening and could only mentally accuse the mason who had helped to bury the chest he felt that he was lost but his audacity never forsook him you are here in the first place to be confronted with this woman said the officer causing the widow masson to stand opposite to him i do not know her but i know you and know you very well it was you who hired this cellar under the name of Ducoudray. Derues shrugged his shoulders and answered bitterly. "'I can understand a man being condemned to the torture if he is guilty, but that in order to accomplish one's mission as accuser and to discover a criminal, false witnesses who can give no evidence should be brought a hundred leagues, that the rabble should be roused up, that divers' faces and imaginary names should be bestowed on an innocent man.' in order to turn a movement of surprise or an indignant gesture to his disadvantage all this is iniquitous and goes beyond the right of judgment bestowed upon men by god i do not know this woman and no matter what she says or does i shall say no more neither the skill nor threats of the police officer could shake this resolution it was to no purpose that the widow masson repeated and asseverated that she recognized him as her tenant Ducoudray, and that he had had a large case of wine taken down into the cellar derues folded his arms and remained as motionless as if he had been blind and deaf the walls were sounded the stones composing them carefully examined the floor pierced in several places but nothing unusual was discovered would they have to give up already the officer was making signs to this effect when the man who had remained at first below with monsieur de lamotte and who standing in shadow had carefully watched derues when he was brought down came forward and pointing to the recess under the stairs said examine this corner the prisoner glanced involuntarily in this direction when he came down i have watched him and it is the only sign he has given i was the only person who could see him and he did not see me he is very clever but one can't be forever on one's guard, and may the devil take me if I haven't scented the hiding-place. "'Wretch!' said Derues to himself. "'Then you have had your hand on me for the whole hour, and amused yourself by prolonging my agony. Oh, I ought to have known it. I have found my master. Never mind, you shall learn nothing from my face, nor yet from the decaying body you will find.' Worms and poison can have only left an unrecognizable corpse. An iron rod sunk into the ground encountered a hard substance some four feet below. Two men set to work and dug with energy. Every eye was fixed upon this trench, increasing in depth with every shovelful of earth which the two laborers cast aside. Monsieur de Lamotte was nearly fainting, and his emotion impressed every one except Derues. At length the silence was broken by the spade striking heavily on wood, and the noise made everyone shudder. The chest was uncovered and hoisted out of the trench. It was opened, and the body of a woman was seen, clad only in chemise with a red and white headband, face downwards. The body was turned over, and Monsieur de Lamotte recognized his wife, not yet disfigured. The feeling of horror was so great that no one spoke or uttered a sound. Derues occupied and considering the few chances which remained to him, 
had not observed that by the officer's order one of the guards had left the cellar before the men began to dig everybody had drawn back both from the corpse and the murderer who alone had not moved and who was repeating prayers the flame of the torches placed on the ground cast a reddish light on this silent and terrible scene derues started and turned round on hearing a terrified cry behind him his wife had just been brought to the cellar the commissioner seized her with one hand and taking a torch in the other compelled her to look down on the body it is madame de lamotte she exclaimed yes yes she answered overwhelmed with terror yes i recognize her unable to support the sight any longer she grew pale and fainted away she and her husband were removed separately one would have supposed the discovery was already known outside for the people showered curses and cries of assassin and poisoner on the carriage which conveyed derues he remained silent during the drive but before re-entering his dungeon he said i must have been mad when i sought to hide the death and burial of madame de lamotte from public knowledge it is the only sin i have committed and innocent of aught else i resign myself as a christian to the judgment of god End of section six recording by john van stan savannah georgia